Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Welcome to Authors on the Air. It is said that we all bloom in our own time. Mark Edward Langley and I share something in common. We both found a passion for writing as adults. After years of corporate life, Mark discovered that the love for the American West his father inspired at an early age had become a passion. His protagonist, Arthur Nakai, is an ex-Marine and retired member of the Shadow Wolves an ICE tactical unit made up of 15 trackers from several Native American tribes recruited by Homeland Security to hunt human traffickers and drug smugglers on the U.S.-Mexico border. He populates his world with fascinating characters and his hero has a strong moral compass that often points him in the direction of trouble. Mark Edward Langley burst onto the scene in 2018 with the first of his Arthur Nakai mysteries, Path of the Dead, Death Waits in the Dark was released in August of 2020, and his third entry, When Silence Screams, is due out in 2021. Before we bring him on, here's a taste of Mark Edward Langley's latest, Death Waits in the Dark. There was always something he liked about the stillness of a high desert night, black as pitch and scattered with stars. Its stillness seemed to allow other people's minds to run wild with all sorts of imaginative notions. Either the night was cool and magical, filled with the serenity people dreamed of attaining, or it was inhabited by a litany of creepy crawlers, ancient ghosts and demons that terrified the mind into a kind of supernatural rigor mortis. I wish I could read more. The whole chapter, in fact, the whole book is just like that. Mark Edward Langley, welcome to the program. It's great to have you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, uh, having me on here and being here. That was a You read that better than I could. <laughs> well, I'm no Bron- Bronson Pinchot, I'll tell you that. But, uh, but I, I, I love, that's always my final edit whenever I'm writing anything is I'll read it to make sure that it feels like it's flowing. And um, reading your stuff is a joy for a reader and especially for a narrator. I bet he had a good time doing that. How did you find him? Actually, when I was uh, looking, the, the publisher sent me four different uh, people to hear, little snippets of each uh, from that. And the first three my wife and I listened to um, seemed like they were just like reading it. You know, I didn't have any... There's no inflection. There was no anything to, to, to say and separate characters. And then when we heard him, he had every little inflection that was talked about. Like if somebody swallowed, he swallowed, you know. Uh, he gave each person their own voice. It was just amazing what he did. And being the actor, I guess, that he is, he, he's been doing this for over 100 now different uh, uh, books that he's he's read you know and uh, won awards for it you know so i i listened to him i go that's it the way he was doing it with between sharon and arthur i go this is this is the guy and how did the relationship work did you have any conversation with him about the book before he narrated it for you no i really went through the person at blackstone uh, who actually sent me then a two-page list of all of the words and how they were supposed to be enunciated, you know? 
And I, I went through all that, and I was going through her line by line with everything that there was, Navajo word or whatever. And I go, you know, I think, I think this one here, I think being his age, about the same age I am, he knows how to pronounce Hoth Cartwright. <laughs> they had it enunciated and spelled out. I'm like, you know, I think he knows how to say that, you know? <laughs> well, usually the people that set those things up for you at the publishers are about 22 years old and wouldn't know what Bonanza was anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. That's like, that's like when I had my daughter at an antique store once and she was staring at something on the wall. I walk over and she goes, what is that? And I go, that's a radio. <laughs> you know? That's sad how that's, that's, I guess it's sad. Is it, um, from a technology perspective, do you consider yourself a guy who's been able to evolve and take advantage of all this new stuff that's available on our phones? I, I think I have. I, uh, my iPhone works great. I've, I've learned how to, to master 99% of the things on that. Um, the computer, I pretty much, be, being in my work environment, taught myself how to do things on the computer because the one time we actually had somebody coming in to show us how to do certain things on it, that was a time I was on vacation, so I missed it, so I had to figure it out myself. <laughs> You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm tech savvy to a point of almost getting in trouble. Take us back to your early youth and tell us how your father instilled such a love for the American West. Oh, my God. That was uh, my father was a person who loved the West all of his life. He, you know, he moved to Houston as part of the company he worked for. And then we started going to museums and so forth. And he went to um the Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth and ended up buying a lot of Remington paintings they had, you know, not the real ones, but copies of it, uh, had them framed, brought them home. I have all of them here. Uh, not everyone will fit in the house <laughs> as it is right now, but uh, he loved it. We went on a two week vacation out there when I was a kid, about 12 years old and his uh, Galaxy 500 Ford, you know, <laughs> and uh, spent time out there through Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, you know, New Mexico, Arizona. And it just, once I got there, for some reason, it, it stuck. It was like, became a part of who I am. And when I went back in my 30s, I think it was, uh, with a two-week vacation out there for the first book, Path of the Dead, and uh, I drove from New Mexico to Montana, the exact same route I take in the book uh, with the characters, the second that I got into the Four Corners area and Northwestern New Mexico and uh, Northeastern Arizona, I got this feeling that rushed over me that I was home. And that's a feeling I've never been able to occur anywhere else but there. The minute I get there and I see the red, you know, land and oh god it's just i cannot believe it how how wonderful it is and where some people will look at that and see nothing i just see beauty everywhere in that do you feel like you're reincarnated and your previous life was lived out in that part of the world you know that was brought up to me i i did some research a few years back for the second book death waits in the dark and i spoke with some navajo people out there about certain things and one guy he told me he asked me he says you know you you might have been a navajo in a previous life <laughs> I says, I only wish, <laughs> you know, I don't know for sure, but I only wish because I, the affinity I feel for the people out there, the way I, I, I love all of them and, and just, I don't know, try to put that in my writing and show how they're not different than anybody else, 
but there are things out there that need to be talked about. And there's things that they can, the people who read my books love the characters because they can equate to their situations sometimes. And if they can equate or learn from what I have in there, that's then I've done my job. All of us who write about cultures that are not our own flesh and blood cultures take the risk of offending people in those cultures for stealing their history in a way is the worst way they put it but it sounds like the the navajo folks have really embraced you and your writing is that the case uh there's been a few people that you know that, that say you know you know well what are you doing writing about that you don't know about that you didn't grow up that way you know um i say to that that it's not that i didn't grow up that way and i didn't but the way i feel about that area and about those people something just draws me to them and to that i when i went down into canyon de Chez in arizona i hiked down into that and so many people you see down there that live down in there in the summertime uh, months you know it's it's great to see them to be them to learn from them you know when i talked to them out there that one time um they do like the fact that i'm bringing up things that they're dealing with on a daily basis and it's not that i'm trying to make a fictional story out of anything that's out there. I do have the fiction part of it, but a lot of what I have in the books in both of them are reality as it is in the four corners area. I try to convey, and I'm learning constantly as I go every day with reading and so forth and watching things on, on YouTube that I can find. I'm hooked up with somebody that uh, sends me videos about uh, histories and stories and so forth. But when I do all that, I, I want to get across to people that this is a culture that was here long before we got here, you know, all of them with that. And they're no different. They just live differently. They are differently. The color of the skin is differently. I don't see that. I see people that are out there that are trying to, most of them trying to struggle to survive. Um, I've donated some charities out there to try to get firewood out to them during the wintertime and so forth, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where I think if I can get across to people that they can understand a little better, then it's a good thing that I'm, I'm trying to include that because they like, like I said, that I'm talking about things they deal with on a daily basis. And it's, I'm not making it like a, a picture got stolen and somebody has to figure it out somewhere in Santa Fe. I'm in everything in my books, the roads, the places, about 98% of them are real, and I've been to those places. So I can equate what I'm telling you is what is there. One, one, one young man, I swear to God, but the first book uh, sent me a, a message on, on Facebook there that he loved my first book so much, and it was so telling for him that he used part of it in his college dissertation, and he got an A. I'm like, don't do that. You know? <laughs> You know, don't don't take what anybody says in a fictional book as truth unless you check it out. But thank you. It worked out good. I'm glad about that, you know, but uh, I want to help people to understand uh, the culture as much as I'm beginning to understand it almost every day. Mark Edward Langley is our guest. His latest is Death Waits in the Dark. He celebrates Navajo culture in a very unique and special way. Is there a real world equivalent to your protagonist, Arthur Nakai? (laughs) <laughs> he and his wife, Sharon, um, their their marriage, their particular things, you draw from a lot of personal experience and a lot of things you do. The Jake Billigody, the, uh, the Navajo uh, captain out there, he's based in physical, physically uh, as my grandfather. He was a big barrel-chested man, you know. Um, 
Sharon and Arthur are kind of based on personal experience with things within marriages and everybody can relate to those ups and downs and so forth, you know, so um, I try to get that across with those. And that's what a lot of people say. They, they like the characters. They love the characters because they understand what's going on with them. When one reviewer uh, loved the dog, said Akis was her hero, you know, <laughs> and he saves the day, you know, but uh, I try to make a lot of, and even the dog, the dog, I t- when I was writing that, we had our, our other dog uh, before this one here, and um, he was a Beagle Spaniel mix, but I, I told him one day, I looked down, I said, I'm, I'm going to make people know you. I'm going to put you in my books. I'm going to make people know you because that will, you know, I, I want to put you in a book, you know, I got that dumb look he always gave, you know, but Everything about the actions of that dog in there is what my dog used to do, how I used to lay, look, whatever it may be, you know. But um, I, I put that in there. I said Arthur and Sharon are based on reality uh, a lot of times, you know. So um, anything in there, pretty much, if it isn't me, it's someone I know. <laughs> so you told me before the show that you've worked for companies for 30 years. What did you do before you became an author? Oh, geez. Um, I was in the automotive aftermarket industry. Um, I was 17, 18 years in uh, a sales capacity at a high performance warehouse, uh, outside sales, inside sales. And then from that um, went to being a um, division head at a second company, beginning their automotive aftermarket division that they didn't have uh with that and then retired at the end of 2016 and started all this why why write i feel i have to it's it's what i want to do what i've always wanted to do the first book you know as you may know it was life and hap- things happen you know it took about 20 years to write because i always john lennon said something that I, I, life is what happens while you're busy making plans you know, and I'll be darned if life didn't happen. You know, <laughs> I, I started that. I came back from my first trip out there with that. I, I talked into a tape recorder for the whole trip, came back, transcribed it all down, started developing characters and backstories and so forth and started writing the book. Well, then I had jobs. I met my wife. We got married. There was, you know, a daughter and so forth. And all the things go on with that. And you put it aside for a long time. Then I I, I was out of work for about eight months. And then in that time, wrote about 16 chapters (laughs) during that, you know. But when I get around to it, I couldn't stop. I could put it aside, but I couldn't stop, you know. And then once I got it finished, I sent it off to several agents and then uh, one actually called me and it's my one i have now and we went through all that and he liked it and he's told me that um i was surprised you know because you think something's good when you write it somebody else telling you that may validates that kind of bit and he said that mine was the first manuscript that came across his desk in six months that he liked well, that's pretty lucky. I hear a lot of stories from people who talk to dozens of agents before they get a nibble. What do you think it was he liked about the story? He said he liked the relationship to the characters. He liked my description of all the surroundings and so forth. You know, um, things needed to be tweaked and worked out. But he, uh, he, overall, he, he liked the way that everything paced out. 
So he wanted to take me on, and we did that, and then he submitted uh, six publishers, and in two weeks, I had a two-book deal. And then you had to come up with the second one. Oh, my God. Yeah, then you got a deadline, you know, right? So, yeah, you got to get it within within a year, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, and um, I was a little bit over on that, but I got it in, and um uh, the next book's already ready in and, and done. It's, it's going to go to the editor here. We'll get all that done up. Character uh, cover is going to get done on the third book. And I've already started researching a lot of the fourth book, with, wrote the first chapter of the fourth book right now. And then I'm toying with right now creating a second series. Featuring the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, children's book. You know, yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, it's going to be a different, a different, still set in New Mexico, but a totally different stretch of circumstances talk about the process for that second book from ideation to publication how did it happen i've been told by a lot of writers i do things backward that i'll be the one just sitting around and all of a sudden i'll come up with a title i'll thank god for notes on my phone you know i i put it into that <laughs> i have like 300 some odd notes in there um Keep things, then transcribe it all down. But I, I do things where I, I can title first, and then I'll begin to, well, what kind of story would fit that title? And like you know, I'm sure I've got a file cabinet back here full of story ideas. I'll pull that thing out, start going through things, you know, and look through that and go, okay, that's good. Okay, nah, Oh, that's good. Okay. Pick it out and then weed those down even further after that. Because I like to have a lot of main story that drives the story, the book, and then I'll have a little side story. Uh, I do in the first two books because I think I take situations that actually happened out in that area so that people, when they read that, will go, I remember that. This is real. You know? You know? <laughs> so that works out. But a lot, of, is the, a lot of the main story and maybe one or two other stories that are smaller than that, that get wrapped up along with it. But um Getting it done with that, sitting down in front of the laptop every day, trying to get something written and getting it all done, going over it numerous times again and again and again. One person, I, uh, I belong to four different groups, uh, Western writers and mystery writers and so forth. And one time somebody said, you might want to get your laptop to read it back to you. And I go, well, how do you do that? told me how to do it. Now I can sit there and have a, this thing. Because you, when you read something, your eye sees what it wants to see. The computer will read what is there, you know. So I'll go through that, make changes as I go, and then read it again and read it again and read it again, and then get it off to the editor and go back and forth with them, I don't know how numerous times, to get that done get the clean copy, get it in, and then I'll sit down virtually with uh, the graphic designer and design the cover. Fortunately, the one that I had for the second book had the exact same idea that I did. Because she asked me, I told her, I was thinking the same thing, you know. So that's the cover of the book that you see is what both of us had thought of. Um, the third book, I'm not sure what we'll do with that. I'll wait and see what to come up with. And uh, we'll go the first, my first book, Path of the Dead. She sent me 11 different cover choices to choose from. And I'm looking, I go, no, no, yeah, maybe, no, no. But I go, uh, merge three, seven, and 11 and see what you get. 
And then she did that and got it back. Perfect. We'll go with that, you know. So that takes maybe, geez, from editing to that was probably three, four months and getting that done. Because getting pictures back and forth and back and forth, getting with the editor, getting that done, getting things in, um, and then trying to research the next book and get things done for that. Um, it all kind of tumbles. Once it tumbles, it starts tumbling together, and it just, it just goes and goes, you know, like a, like a snowball. <laughs> Mark Edward Langley is our guest. He has two books out, Path of the Dead and his latest, which came out in August of last year, Death Waits in the Dark, coming in 2021, When Silence Screams. What can you tell us about that book? That sounds very interesting. That, again, the title came first. And then I started researching a lot of things. And what really got me deciding on what I wanted to have the main story consist of and a sub-story to explain things was one of my characters says it in the book. She says you know, being a native herself, she said, you know, when a, when a white girl goes missing off a golf course, everybody hears about it. But when a native person goes missing or any other person like that of color, you don't hear about it. And when I found out that in 2016 alone, in the reservations of the USA and Canada, 5,712 girls and women went missing, that struck a chord. And I delved more into that and I mean further down the rabbit hole I found so many different stories about so many different girls ages you know 13 to 36 or whatever we'll say that um, you see names and you see stories yeah but it struck me and really hit a chord when I came across a website for murdered and missing and murdered indigenous women and through that they let people know every day of people going missing. I get I get things on my phone almost every day of some girl missing, you know. And they had all of the flyers of the missing girls on there. So you could see and who they were and so forth. And you can see a name. This is a name, you know, a number is a number. But when you see all these flyers, their pictures on there. Always a nice picture, smiles and so forth, you know, um, age, height, weight, hair color, eye color, all this stuff, the number to call if you do see somebody like that, you know, um, it puts it in a real tone where it's more heavy than it was when you just saw a number. There's a name attached to it. There's a person's face attached to it. There are families attached to that that will possibly never see that person again and you look at them all it just just struck me so hard i had to write about something like that to get the word out that this is happening and to make people aware about it because i i don't think it's talked about it's never been i've heard it mentioned on nbc news once you know and it's it's a daily thing they're, they're missing every day. It's like one of my characters says in the book, it's hard to go anywhere in this state and realize this is the last place somebody was. Arthur Nakai is a character who 
hunts for human traffickers, for homeland security. Do those people exist in the real world on the on the reservation? Yeah. They do. Yeah, that uh, that that shadow wolf is a is a actual fifteen man group that actually exists. Um, of course, he was in the Marines for ten years uh, with that, so he learned a lot of that, and that transferred over into that. Um, he does track. He tracks uh, some things in the in the first book all the way to Montana. He does some tracking in the second book. The third book, he uses more of his wits than he does the tracking at some point, but he does notice things that go on uh, in that realm. So he's based on a real group of people. And his, his name changed like three or four times before the first book got even done, but I finally settled on Arthur Lakai, you know. But uh, it's, it's, it's a, he, he, I want people to think he is real. I, I went to the effect so much of when I do book signings, I have little things I put up around me, you know, and one of them is a three folder frame stand that sits on the on the table with me there and um it's got everything about him it's got his insignia of the patch of his uniform his name from the uniform the flag his shadow wolf uh, patch you know and they bring up questions everybody asks me then about that and that helps get me more involved with the conversation about who he is, what his background is, and what he does, so they can understand better where I'm coming from. So to you, he's a real person. He is. He is. Huh. I mean, he's, he's in my head. And as you know, when you, when you start writing something, especially conversational dialogue, you know, um, you may have a way you're going to take that, but their personalities come out and that's what you put on the page. I can't force uh, something different, but I have an idea of where I'm going and then getting there is the path, you know, but when I sit down and do that and in conversations, they'll take over and he becomes that real person inside my head, you know? So like my, like my mug here says, you know, writer's block is when your imaginary friends don't talk to you, you know? <laughs> so that's uh has that ever happened have you ever been stuck oh, oh yeah several i do my dad always said just get up leave it alone do something else and come back to it later sometimes that works sometimes i do it two or three times you know but that's eventually that's why i kind of outline everything i outline every chapter so i know what i'm doing in that chapter where i'm going and then and for path of the dead i wrote the last chapter after like the sixth chapter of the book so i knew where i had to get to I just had to get there. So. How often do shadow wolves actually retrieve somebody who's missing? <sighs> it's it's a catch as catch can kind of thing. And the in the third book, I do write about that. That um, it actually had why having the book between uh, Arthur and this police detective in Santa Fe actually did happen, where they came across um, tracking some. Uh, human traffickers across with the coyotes and they caught up to them where they had uh, all congregated around this tree, like one big tree of one rendezvous point, you know, and uh, they were taking advantage of some people, but uh, they saved uh, uh, the girls in that little caravan band they were bringing across, you know, for that purpose uh, as they were treating them badly, we'll say. 
you know. So it does happen. It does happen. They did a lot of drugs get picked up, a lot of things they find hidden in the backpacks and so forth. And um, it's crazy when you watch all that and, and, and you see what they do that um, it's, a, it's an amazing job to even know what to look for. <laughs> you know, the tracking element comes into it so much. Things that I would have never even thought of beforehand, even delving into this, you know. Um, how to tell if somebody went a certain direction, not simply just by a, a broken tree branch or whatever, or a little branch, but a turned over stone. If it's a wet, if it's a wet stone, somebody was just there going that way. If it's a dry stone, it, nobody's gone that direction. You know, they'll kick a turn over. It's weird these little things. Um, and this, in the first book too, um, the he's doing a guided trip out in. Uh, the desert there and it actually happened to me i got pointed out to me by one of the uh, people that i had a young kid was giving me a trail ride through uh the land out there and i noticed a little stack of stones and i said what is what is this this is not something nature would put here he said well we put those there because nobody ever notices that then we know where to go so they the roadside, stack, yeah. yeah, little stacks of stones that nobody would ever see but them, and they know turn here, go here, they go to certain wreck. It's, it, it all works out. So everything that I have in the book uh, or the books um, actually is a real a real thing that would happen. What's your definition of success as an author? I think to me it would be being able to do this for the rest of my life and make a decent living at it you know um i i just i love writing for writing's sake i, I have a story it's inside i have a story to tell i want to get that story out no matter what it uh, ends up being but i just want to be writing i want to be in front of my computer every day or every other day doing something you know working on something going over it. the whole process is what i love to do i love to write i love to edit <laughs> I don't I don't go with Hemingway and say, well, you know, write drunk, edit sober, you know, but uh, it is something that you have to really focus on to do. And I, I just I love writing. I, just, I cannot not write. When did you start? What's the first oh thing you wrote? Um, the first thing I wrote was actually in college class and um, they had us doing plays and so forth. And I thought a play up and had everybody in the, in the class play a, a part of it, you know. Remember my teacher then, she says, you're going to be the most prolific writer I think I've ever had in my class. And you'll probably be getting published before anybody else. Well, that was in the 80s, <laughs> you know. And then like I said, life happens, so you go along. But um, I just never stopped. The first book I wrote, I found that one day as I was going through some things, and it was terrible. <laughs> you know, it was just terrible. But uh, you find things like that, it makes you laugh and go, I did find my mother kept it. This is what's so funny. My mother kept the story, a two-page story that I wrote for class when I was five. It was called The Devil Car, you know. And I read through it, sort of laughing, told my wife, you know, it's called the devil car, but there's no mention of the devil or a car in the story. <laughs> Great title, sell books. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I, I hopefully have gotten better since then. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you could go back and talk to that youngster, your your 16-year-old self about the future, 
What advice would you give that young man? Hindsight being 2020, I would say definitely go to college. You know, um, I did not choose that route. Um, it was a local college that I went to for a few times, a few uh, different uh, programs, you know. But um, my father offered me. I didn't take it. I would say when your father offers it to you, take it. You know, life can be much simpler that way. But when things just happen to happen correctly, we'll say, uh, to afford me being able to do this. And there's no doubt about it. Education makes a big deal. You know, I did learn a lot uh, when I did uh, have my education through high school and so forth. But I think just to listen better, go to college, to have that extra advantage, I think, uh, later on, you know. And um, like I always tell my daughter, you know, follow your dream. You know, don't let somebody else tell you you're not James Patterson. You're not Robert Parker. Of course you're not. They weren't anybody that came before them. You are yourself. You know, don't let somebody else dictate how you will live your life. Profound wisdom from Mark Edward Langley. How can we find you on the web and social media? Well, I am at uh, markedwardlangley.com. That's markedwardlangley.com, one word. Um, from there, you can get to my Instagram page, my Facebook page, my LinkedIn page, um, and see all the things there. My my Follow me on BookBub. Uh, the link is on that, too. Uh, Goodreads is on there, and my Amazon author page is on there as well. So how do you find time to engage with people on all these platforms? <laughs> oh, boy. Let's just say that I had to remove my notifications on my social media accounts so they wouldn't go bam, 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 bam. You know, I'll go in and check them every now and then. Then I'll go right through. Um, I get back to everybody that gets a hold of me, whether it be email through my website or or on Facebook or any of the platforms. Um, I have sat down and done numerous uh, author takeovers of somebody's book club Facebook page, you know, and I've had a lot of success with that. Uh, talk to everybody under the stars <laughs> that belong to those groups and those groups. And uh, a lot of great questions, a lot of great people. I love that they love reading the books and um, I hope they continue to. Do you have a secret promotional thing that's worked specifically well for you as you're trying to sell these books? I think what's good uh, is, of course, being on the pages that do that, but I created my own uh, video trailers for the books that are on my site. Um, I've created my own advertising layouts uh, once a week, like every Monday, I'll post one on there with links to the Amazon page, my website, and so forth. Um, those have done real well. Um, at one point, my book, um, uh, Death Waits in the Dark, was up to, I think, number four, uh, rated on Amazon, you know, uh, which was annoying, uh, crazy for me. I go, wow, can you believe this, you know? But uh, it, it happens rarely, but uh, a lot of things go on. And I think mainly the ads and the trailers and getting with people that read uh, all those, those times have helped a lot, a great deal. Mark Edward Langley. The books are Path of the Dead. The current one is Death Waits in the Dark. And I'm looking very much forward to When Silence Screams, coming in 2021. Mark, thanks so much for being on the program with us today. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. 
Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.